Hey, what's up, guys? This is Brandon Hampton. You're currently in first place. Alrighty, Mr. Brandon Hampton, thank you so much for being on the show, brother. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank All you right. for having me. Sweet. So let's go ahead and get this started. So everybody knows you. Most of the people know you as the king of social media, or at least when we were talking off camera. Yeah. Little Birdie told me that you had a pretty interesting past and currently work with social media influencers. So let's, let's start with how you begun down this path and what it took you to get to where you are today. Yeah. So um, in, in social media, I, I started about 11 years ago. Mm -hmm. So there was no such thing as a social media influencer. There was no Instagram. It was just, you know, there was Facebook was, was there, uh, but there was not in the same form that it is today. It was mostly just friends adding friends on social media. There were no Facebook like pages even. Um, I built up a network on Twitter, first of all. Okay. Uh, that, so that's kind of where all of the attention was. Um, there was not even anybody that had a million followers yet. This was when Ashton Kutcher and CNN did the race to a million. So mm -hmm. it was like very, very, very early social media. And I got involved not because I wanted to make money, not because I wanted to build a business, but because I was just interested in having more followers than everybody else. I see. It was very competitive. I see. And uh, this was what year? Uh, 2008. 2008. Yeah. And before that, you were in real estate, correct? Yeah, I was in real estate. Um, I did, I did uh, real estate. I did loans. Uh, I even had a lead generation company, so I'd actually, you know, generate customer information for people who were interested in refinancing their house or buying a house or, you know, consolidating debt, all of those commercials you would see on TV and then also on internet uh, of people looking to consolidate debt or get into anything real estate related. And you were pretty young at this time, correct? Yeah. How old were you? Would you... Um, I mean, I got into real estate, uh, I think I bought my first house at 21 and I bought my eighth house at 22. At 22. So you owned eight properties yeah. and you were pretty much killing it in the game. Or at least that's what I got. Uh, so you, what made, what made you go from that transition from real estate to wanting to get into this whole social media space? Like the what? real estate crash. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 uh, I put all my eggs in one basket, so I did not diversify. I generated all of my earnings. So all of my income was around the real estate transactions that I would do with loans. And then I invested all of that money into real estate. Okay. So what happens is, is that if there's any, you know, move in the real estate market positive, then I make more money and then I get to invest more money. But if it goes down, then I lose my income, but I could also potentially lose all the money I invested. And that's exactly what happened in the real estate crash. Okay. And you were, this was you at 22. Yeah. So take me what was going on through your head at 21, 22. I mean, my being, life is over. <laughs> I mean, being at such a young age, I'm sure like at the beginning you felt like you were on cloud nine, correct? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I put a lot of time, effort and energy into, you know, everything from the money I earned. Um, I was working, you know, very long hours because I, I was good at all of the things that I was doing. I was doing really good with sales. I was doing really good with um, networking and I think the part of the equation that I was missing at that time when I kind of like went from, you know, having really good credit score, having all this leverage, um, having you know, money in the bank and having a good income was I thought it took me 22 years to build that when it didn't because you can't buy a house when you're 17. 
Okay. can't get credit when you're 17. You can't earn a significant income when you're still in high school. So all of the work that I put in was actually done between 18 and 22. You started when you were 18? Well, I started in sales when I was 18. Um, Did you finish school at all? Or? Uh, I, I, after I graduated high school, I was looking at different colleges to go to. And during the summer of high school, leading up to the first semester of what would have been my college career, <clears throat> I got a, uh, a job working in the mall selling cell phones. Okay. And... I earned a pretty substantial income as an 18-year-old with no bills. Uh-huh. And I thought for a second, like, if I want to go to school, which originally I wanted to go for engineering and computer science, go out, earn a degree over the next several years, pay to earn that degree, and then if I get a good enough job, potentially be able to earn six figures eventually. With the pace that I was on earning money, selling cell phones in the middle of the mall, um, partying most of the time, <laughs> Um, I was able to earn, you know, like I think my, one of my very first paychecks selling cell phones in the middle of the mall as an 18 year old kid was $5,000. Wow. It's like I had a, you know, my one third of the rent where I lived was 350 bucks and I had a $200 car payment. So So as you can imagine, I have this huge disposable income. I was balling. uh, (laughs) Right. Um, and then I was like, well, why am I going to go to school and then pay to go to school and then use all this time and energy and effort? to potentially earn slightly more than I would at this sales job. But progressively, as I stayed at that sales job, my income got higher. And by the time that summer was over and it was time to go back to school, I was like, I don't know if I really want to do this. So hmm. I, I ended up, you know, I, at this time, it was still kind of like on the fence. Should you go to school? Do you have to go to college? Do people have to go to college? My family expected me to. So I actually signed up at a local college. And I was like, that was my way of keeping my job because I, I did it in the city that I kind of grew up in. So I was like, well, I'm just going to go to the local college for a year, see how it goes. But that was really, again, my secret way of just saying, I'm going to keep my job, start neglecting school. And I think I only finished two months into the semester before I just quit. Um, Because the amount of money that I started earning money or like um, check after check was progressively getting more. And I think I got before the summer was over and then like one or two months into the school year of the first semester of college at this local um, college. Um, I think I, I, I had a $10,000 check. 10K. So it's really hard to say go to school. When you're making that much money. At because, that because as an engineer, <clears throat> unless you're very, very, very far along in your career and you're really good at what that's you like do. That's a senior level. That's a senior level. Yeah. So I was like, wait a minute. Maybe I can sell something that's a higher ticket. Maybe I can sell something that's bigger. And what, what, I, what I realized was that I didn't understand cell phones so good that I was just like badass at selling cell phones. I just understood people. And I liked dealing with people and I liked interacting with people and it became a game to me. And it's like, how can I um, take my ability to associate and network and build relationships and rapport with these people and use that to earn a higher income? And the better that I got at that part, the more money I made. Interesting. Interesting. So would you agree that sales is one of the most highest paid careers to take in today's society? I think that it's arguably one of the best skill sets to to have have. no matter what industry that you're in so how so for everyone that's watching right now how would what advice would you give them to master sales like let's say a young entrepreneur wants to test something out doesn't really want to finish college but is scared to take that you know eject button and drop out but he also doesn't seem like he can sell like you i mean you had you kind of had like a like a like a like an exit yep versus some people don't really have that exit so what's what's like a couple tips you would give for everyone that's watching on how to master sales so the biggest differentiator between me and a lot of the salespeople that um, 
that I was sort of competing against, whether it was just the people that sold with me there at the same store, or um, probably the best thing that they did to my benefit was they created this um, they created this website that you could go on at any point during the day, and you could see what person was selling a phone at any other um, location for AT&T. It was singular wireless at the time, but it's AT&T now. Wow, that was um, every AT&T store in California and Washington and Oregon and Hawaii was competition. So I was in the Western part. So they put up this site and then I could see, well, oh, you have eight sales today. Well, guess what I would do? I would go out and get 10 today. So I was driving it off of competitiveness. Okay. But what I also noticed is that the rest of the people selling had these tricks that they would do. And they would, a lot of them were dirty tricks. It's like used car salesmen, like very corny and very cheesy. And what I noticed is that they would, they would get sales from it, but it seemed slimy. And they would also have a lot of complaints after the fact. They would get people coming back saying, well, you didn't tell me about this. Or what about sure. this? Or what about that? So while everybody's trying to finesse people, I was like, hmm, I wonder what would happen if I take the approach and I treated all this bad information that salespeople didn't want to tell to the customer as good information and I spun it as a positive. <clears throat> so as an example, in the cell phone industry, the number one like biggest objective was had to pay an activation fee. Okay. So $36 activation fee. So I said, hey, I'm going to go over this and I'm going to tell you, you know, I already told you all the good stuff. Now I'm going to tell you all the bad stuff. There is a $36 activation fee, but you don't pay it today. It's on your first bill. You do have to pay this fee, but it's a surcharge. It's California regulated. It doesn't matter if you buy it from me or if you buy it from somewhere else. So what I did was I took all those objections and problems that people were having later in the customer sales process, and I was, I was, I was advancing them to the front of the line. And I'm like leading with my worst foot forward and saying, here's all the bad shit. Then I'm going to tell you all the good stuff. And then you make a decision. If you don't want to buy from me, then great. Go ahead. Other okay. people were like very scared to tell people all of the bad news because it thought it would cost them the sale. So, so what I did was did I led really, with the bad information. So you genuinely didn't care about <coughs> losing the sale? Like was that like the intention you walked in? It's like, hey, if I lose this, it's all good. Or were you like set like, no, this is going to happen. Whether like I knew, I knew it was going to happen and, and I was I was better than all of the other salespeople, but I was also leading with honesty. And I think that it was unique because like when you go to a car dealership, the mm -hmm. first thing they try to do is get you to say, yeah. And then they're like, okay, after you agree, I'm going to tell you all the bad stuff. I'm going to tell you about the financing charge and, oh yeah, by the way, it's a high interest rate or whatever. Um, I would just lead with the bad information and say, here's the facts, like them or, you know, you, you love this or you hate it. It doesn't matter because if you go buy from this person or this person or that it's store same, or this same. store, it's the same thing. But the only difference between me and other people is I'm going to tell you about it first. And I'm going to own it. And then you can make an educated decision because you're a smart person. So interestingly enough, a question that comes to mind is how do you take a product that no one knows about and convince someone that this is the greatest thing that they actually need it. So in your case, you had a baseline, you have a platform, you were selling phones, people use phones. Yeah. But most well, by the way, when I was selling them, where, okay, so right now, if you go into a mall and you pass by one of these kiosks in the middle, yeah. they say, what kind of phone do you have? And then they try to push you to the phone that they have. Sure. When I was selling phones, nobody had one. I didn't say, what phone do you have? I said, do you have a cell phone? Ah, uh, okay. So this was, you know, 2001, 2002. Okay, so this is kind of like a new product. All so right. it's a new product, and people okay. were like, oh, I have a home phone. So I was getting people to cancel their home phone. <laughs> and because, switch to cell phones. Because this one does that and more, and it's not grounded to one specific place. I see. I guess you answered the question. But, but the way that you sell 
it doesn't matter if it's phone or it doesn't matter if it's anything. So your gadget, your gizmo, your product that you came up with, or whether it's just your brand of something that already exists, but yours is better in some capacity, you have to solve a problem or you have to hit a pain point. So maybe somebody else sells the same thing that you do, but theirs is $100 more. You sell on price. Maybe yours is the one that's $100 more and you're selling on value. You have to take what makes your product different and you have to sell that, whether it's a good thing or whether it's a bad thing. Um, you know, some brands do it. It's like you, you can go to the, the you can go to Lowe's and you can get a brick for 50 cents. Or you can go to Supreme and you can get a $400 brick because they do this cool branding thing, right? That's the funniest or you can go thing, yeah. to McDonald's and get a dollar cup of coffee. Or you can go to Starbucks and get the same shit for four bucks. Like yeah. it's really just branding and positioning. And if your problem or if your problem that you have is solved with your product, if somebody else's problem is solved that they have with your product, then you're going to be able to sell it. I see. And again, it could be price sensitivity. It could be function. It could be, you know, um, it could be compact and something else is bulky. It can be big when something else is small. It, it just has to differentiate itself in some capacity. And then it has to be different than something else that a competitor has. I see. I see. Alrighty. So you go from selling phones mm -hmm. to jumping into real estate yes to completely losing everything yep okay and you're at the age of 22 at this point yep so somebody who's gone through like 18 19 20 21 22 straight five years of just making money making money to all of a sudden <clears throat> losing it all what was your thought process and how did you get out of that little like hole that happened yeah so i went into you know it was a pretty like dark stage for me because i again i thought my life was over um I went into like a very anxious and depressed state for a few years. So I left my house to go get fast food, to go to the grocery store to get like, you know, other junk. I was drinking a 30 pack of soda like every two or three days. Oh, um, I would play video games all day. I would watch, you know, cops reruns and I just stayed at home. Um, it was a very um, defunct lifestyle that I was living in. This went on for a few years. Um, I was doing whatever I could to get by in terms of like earning money. Um, I would take, you know, little, I don't want to call them side jobs, but they were all like computer related. Cause that's what I knew. Um, I was playing poker for a while and I would earn, you know, earn money playing poker. Um, I, I just kind of did what I could. And the way that I really snapped out of it was, um, it, it just kind of hit me like, you know, I don't want to be like this forever. I was capable of building from zero to that. I'm capable of doing this again. I can't change what already happened what am I going to do? Am I going to just give up or can I go out and build it? So I slowly started to change. And this is the most important part. I just started to change a little bit of my habits. It's like if I drink seven nights a week and I party all the time, but I don't actually do anything tangible with my life in terms of um, getting my life back on track with work or with what I'm building for myself, then nothing's going to change. So mm -hmm. if I keep doing what I'm doing, this will be my result. But if I start to change my habits, then I can slowly change how my life is going. So I started getting up at Instead of noon, I started getting up at 6 a.m. Mm -hmm. and I would just go for a walk and I would not take my phone with me and I would just think about ideas and like come up with things that I could do to make my day better. Started to, to eat healthier. I started to cook my own food instead of going to a fast food restaurant. Um, I started to do exercise again and I started to cut back the amount of soda that I drank and replace it with water. Uh, I would go out and then not have drinks or not have as many drinks as I would before. So I slowly started to make these changes and those all collectively added up into me feeling better looking better and then living a better lifestyle. So then now when I come up with these business ideas, I'm not like hungover and like worry about it the next day or I'm not like in bed at 5 p.m. still. 
I can actually go out and make things happen. And that's slowly how it started to kind of piece together. Kind of just progressed into it. Okay, yeah. I see. I like how you said how you first focused on emotions, your physical look, how you felt. Because yeah. a lot of people don't realize that how you feel is how you act and how of course. action pretty much does everything in life. So uh, with that being said, so let's, let's start now with the time. So now you got out of this hole. What, what was the first business idea that you came up with? And how did you like, so you decided to get into social media yeah. from then on? Well, um, after the real estate stuff, I got into real estate leads after the real estate market hit because okay. there was a couple of different categories that um, were still hitting hard. So people were doing what's called a loan modification, which is your real estate crashed, but you can go out and work with the bank to save it. So I started generating leads for those. I didn't actually provide the service. I just went out and ran media, so TV and internet leads I, is what I generated and I sold those to people who were doing that type of stuff in real estate. And <clears throat> I, I kind of started using Twitter for fun, but then I would have a thousand followers and my sales, you know, competitiveness kicked in and I'm like, wait a minute, like you got 2000 followers and I got a thousand, like, what are you doing that I'm not? And I would go <laughs> and I would study people's pages like obsessively. And again, nothing to do with business. I didn't even know that there was potential to earn money on this because nobody was doing it yet. So uh, I built up myself to about 10,000 followers just working with other people who were creating content. So okay. I was writing jokes and I was doing like funny pop culture stuff. Tell me so, more about that because I know I read about how you had like a, the Dave Chappelle username or something on Twitter. Yep. yep. So what, 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 how did you come up with that idea and why? Why did you do it? So that's an important piece of this like long puzzle. Okay. So what I did first is I had like this alter ego where I would post like really, really offensive jokes. And that was me. I was writing those and I would talk about everything that nobody else wanted to talk about. So I'd take a piece of news and I would write something really offensive about it, but it would go viral. Now I built up myself from 10,000 followers to like a hundred thousand followers. Then one of my buddies hit me up and he's like, Hey, I don't really know what Twitter is or how to use it, but I don't know if this is of any use to you, but I have the username Dave Chappelle. Dave didn't have any social, no Twitter, no nothing. So I was like, sure, I'll take it. And what I started doing is I would just copy and paste all my old good jokes and I would say my good jokes. So I would, I would like rank them how many, how many favorites it got or how many retweets it got. And I would take all my viral content that I originally wrote, but I would post it on Dave Chappelle now. Well, I had in my bio official Dave Chappelle in uh, Twitter. <laughs> and then the name was not Dave Chappelle, one, two, three, Dave underscore Chappelle. It was really just Dave at Chappelle. Dave Chappelle. So people thought it was Dave Chappelle. And uh, even there wasn't even a lot of people like half the celebrities weren't even verified back then because it was so early and they didn't even know how to get verified if they wanted to. So I start reposting my old content. But what I notice is like for Brandon, this random person on the Internet that nobody's ever met that was funny, but like nobody knew him. I would get a thousand reposts on some stuff. And that was a lot like some people, some celebrities weren't even getting two or three hundred retweets and I was getting a thousand. Wow. Okay. But then what I would do is I would repost that same joke two months later on Dave Chappelle. 10,000 retweets just because you had the username because I had the user. So think about it like this. It's he has the voice. He has the delivery. He has the timing to make anything funnier. He has the same thing that every other successful comedian has. He has all of those elements mm -hmm. on Twitter. You don't have to have any of those elements because if you're Dave Chappelle and you post a joke, people read it in his voice. They think Dave's saying that. So it's automatically 10 times funnier. Mathematically, it was 10 times funnier than me because if I would get 2,000 retweets, he would get 20,000. If I would get 1,000, he would get 10,000. If I would get 500, he would get 5,000. So mathematically, so what happened is, is it took me about a year 
to get 100,000 followers on my personal page, mm-hmm. it took me three months to get Dave's page to 400,000 followers. Whoa. And at this time, every topic, Dave Chappelle trending. Dave Chappelle is trending. Tsunami in Japan. Dave Chappelle was number one trending. Justin Bieber, number two. And this is Justin Bieber's prime. <laughs> and this is you. This is me. <laughs> That's so funny. So, That's hilarious. Uh, but what I started doing to get more attention. You're like catfishing half a million people. I mean, at, at, the, <laughs> at the peak, it had about 800,000. And it was like one of the biggest pages on Twitter. That's insane. And what I did was I started doing beef with other celebrities and with other comedians and with other news outlets. And I was just tweeting like the craziest shit that i could because i knew that it would get attention so i was like tweeting at chris brown and i was like starting fights with like cat williams on twitter and everybody was covering it media takeout and uh, world star hip-hop and like all these different sites back in the day and i was getting all this pr so more people would just go follow the account like dave chappelle's you know going crazy on tmz and stuff um it was pretty wild were you not worried about legal trouble um i mean it was a parody account but i didn't say that it was a parody account put official Dave Chappelle Instagram. You so, just said, so what was your goal behind this? I, I didn't have one. There was no goal. It was just, <laughs> I had the name and I thought it was funny that people thought it was him. And um, what, it, what it really did was edified that I, I thought I was, I thought all the stuff that I would come up was creative and funny. And it edified that it was creative and funny because if people thought it was funny coming from him, they're not going to just say, well, it's Dave Chappelle. I'm going to say it's funny even if it's not. It just got me the edification that I wanted to the scale that I wanted because people thought that it was Dave. So it just really edified what I what I thought I knew in my mind, which was like, I'm coming up with some pretty cool, funny stuff. And I'm like really good and witty when it comes to creating these things. Now, what ultimately ended up happening was Cat Williams did have a Twitter, but he was like official cat one, two, three or something crazy, but he was verified. Uh-huh. So I actually got the username Cat Williams later. Oh, and I God. was Cat Williams, and I was Dave Chappelle, and I would roast each, each other, other. No, from both. Dude. <laughs> oh, <my God. clears throat> so, so there's actually a clip on Jimmy Fallon. Dave Chappelle's on Jimmy Fallon, and he talks about this whole thing happening. So I went to Facebook, and I tried to get my name, and I couldn't. And then I went to Twitter. He's like, I tried to get my name, and there was a page. And not only was there a page... Dave Chappelle called me hilarious. Let's just say that. Dave Chappelle said, I started reading the tweets and it wasn't me. It said official Dave Chappelle, but the guy was hilarious. And he was like talking to girls and roasting celebrities and like all this stuff. And he, and he actually liked it. Um, so, but ultimately what I did is I kind of parlayed my skill with social media with building content that went viral. And I harnessed that and I was like, okay, people are starting to advertise and pay people. How can I actually make money on this? So I started to build out other verticals. I was hitting on comedy already, but comedy doesn't make you any money. All the brands want to advertise to people who care about that type of category. So I created a lot of pages around women. So I created a fitness page. I created a love and relationship and dating and quote page. I created a beauty page and skincare and a wedding page and shoe page. So I started creating all these categories because guess what? Who spends the most money online? Women. So what advertisers are spending the most money to advertise? Brands advertising to women. So if I had the biggest women pages, I could get all the biggest advertising dollars and have and harness the biggest amount of consumers. You're very interesting when it comes to seeking opportunity. So what's that's I, I love that about you actually. What's what's the key tip you would give for someone out there that's watching in regards to how can they see an opportunity when it's right in front of them? Because a lot of entrepreneurs, honestly, especially in this day and age where a lot of things are just not saturated but flooded. Yeah. The market's flooded. There's so there's so much out there that's like, what do you do? Well, um, for me, what I've always done is I don't, I, I 
I'm a big proponent of reverse engineering stuff. So you take an idea or you take something that's working somewhere else and you say, how can I do that but different? So the content was an exact, you know, replica of what I just said. So I was getting, you know, I had a thousand followers. Somebody else had 2000 or 10,000. So I'd say, okay, here's what I do. Here's what they do. When I post this, I get 2% engagement. When they do this, they get 7% engagement. How do I replicate that? How do I do more 7% engagement stuff? And I would only do that. And I would try stuff and if it would work, you know, it's like if you, if you go to anybody's Instagram page, go look at their last 30 posts. Find out the number one most engaged and time out, find out the number two most engaged thing out of all those 30 posts. I guarantee you they both have a lot of things in common. Similarities. Go to the two least engaged things. I guarantee you they have a lot in common. So the biggest thing for like, let's say a girl on Instagram. Well, when you have jeans on, maybe you get 50,000 likes. But when you have your ass showing in a bikini, maybe you get 75,000 likes. Well, okay. Well, what we know the difference is, is that you don't have any pants on and you're showing your butt. You're going to get more engagement. In fact, 50% more engagement. Well, um, what about when you show your boyfriend or your husband? Guess what? Your lowest performing post or you post a quote. That's not what your followers followed you, followed you for, so you're going to get less engagement. Now, if it's not a girl showing her butt on Instagram, then the math could be a little bit different and the numbers could be different. Maybe it's 2,000 likes versus 1,000. Maybe it's 100 likes versus 400 likes. Maybe it's, you know, you post a, a video and it does really, really well, but when you post a photo, it doesn't. Maybe, you're, maybe your followers are like, they're looking for that motivation and when you post a 60-second video, they get that, but when you post an image of you, they don't. So it's really just about crafting what works and reverse engineering that. Now, to take that and turn it into a business idea, if people start buying um, you know, cannabis products and you're wondering what sort of store you would open, well, why don't you start selling cannabis products? Well, where would we sell them? Well, let's go through the whole process and reverse engineer it and say, well, I noticed that this magazine gets a lot of readers and the, it's not a cannabis magazine, but guess what? It has the same type of audience as High Times. And mm. I noticed that maybe if I advertise a CBD product or a THC product on their site, they have the same type of consumer as High Times does, but they're not pushing any brands. So maybe I'll be the only one on there, right? Or, hey, there's this huge gap in the market for this type of product. But you could also reverse engineer things that aren't going to work. So, hey, um, I'm an artist and I want to start doing 50 pieces a month. Well, how long does a piece take you? Oh, it takes you four days to finish a piece? Well, four days times 50 pieces is 200 up. days. So how do you reverse engineer that? Maybe you do four pieces a month and they're all priced much, much higher. And then you sell reprints on your website and a million people could order them and you print them on demand. So like you just have to figure out and, and plan for every scenario and then reverse engineer like the easiest way to get from A to B and get started and then how to scale that business. But you should be able to work through all that mostly in your head before you even get started. Very interesting. So you seem to have a certain obsession with what you do. Would you say? Would you agree? It's what I would be doing if I wasn't paid to be doing it. Is everybody else is on social media. Everybody else is, um, is interested in like what goes viral. How does it work? Yeah. All the brands are trying to figure out. All the influencers are trying to figure out. And if I wasn't doing this for money, I would be doing it for free, just analyzing it. So I, I totally just because you love it. All right, I see. So now my question to you is, how do you create that obsession in your head if you don't have it? <clears throat> um, you can't. You can't, you can't, you can't say, Hey, um, you can make good money in social media. So I'm going to be obsessed with it. You can't, but 
Maybe you're obsessed with something else. If you're obsessed with comic books, great. Figure out how to buy old comic books, sell them for a higher price. Figure out how to write your own comic book. Um, figure out and do research around people who make movies about comic books. Go license the rights to a comic book and say, hey, I want to. I noticed that you have, I don't know, Archie. Hey, you guys haven't made merchandise in 10 years. I would love to bring Archie back and try to get it trending. It's really just digging into what you want. Now, here's the, here's the problem is that for the past 10 years or so, the more followers you had, the more popular you were and the more desired you were by other influencers and by brands. It's changing. Micro-influencers is really where it's at. Micro? Six months new. from now, 12 months from now, 18 months from now, it's going to get progressively worse in that direction. And I say worse because if you have a lot of followers, you'll run into a problem is that brands aren't going to want to work with you as much as they would somebody who has a very specific specialty for a very specific topic, and that's it. A niche market. So let's say Ford. Right now, or, or, or like, who is it? Uh, Matthew McConaughey is with like Bradley Cooper or whoever's with like uh, Lincoln. Mm -hmm. He's in the Lincoln commercial. Well, guess what? A few years from now, that's not going to be relevant. What's going to happen is they're going to go to the person who fixes cars on YouTube who has 18,000 subscribers and has a bunch of like badass car people following them. They're going to do the deal with him. Michael Jordan is not doing Haynes next time. It's going to be the guy on YouTube who has 54,000 followers that talks about men's basics, underwears and t-shirts and how to dress and accessories. That's the person they're going to go after next. Why and is that happening? Because the level of engagement with somebody like that is much, much higher. The loyalty is much higher. The attention is much higher. Oh. And their specific knowledge as it relates to that topic is a lot better. So if, if you're like, let, let's assume like you're in the gaming space. Okay. Do you want Drake to be your spokesperson? Traditionally, the answer would be, yeah, Drake's huge. He has a lot of fans. Well, guess what? 90% of people that follow Drake might not like video games. Maybe 10% do. Or would you rather have somebody who's half his size in terms of following, but only has gamers following them? Or even better, somebody that has 100,000 followers, way less than Drake, but is the most iconic person in the entire gaming space. Huh? That's the person that they want, is they want the authenticity of somebody who is like dedicated, passionate, and actually cares about that space and knows everything about it inside out. And whether they have 2,000 followers or 10,000 or 10 million, they want the authentic people who are dedicated to that space and drive all of their attention and passion around that. I see. I see. Interesting. So a quick question pops into mind. When you first started this journey in social media and you started to turn it into a business and monetize it, how did you put yourself in a position to be able to network with other influencers and grow your field to now where you are today? We were just talking about it recently. Whoever's watching right now is they actually use the city here for influencers to stop by. And it's like, it's like a little WeWork space. And I thought that was really cool. And the fact that people trust you right now to that degree where it's like, yeah, let's just go kick it with you know, let's just go see what's up. Let's go yeah. work there. How did you begin that when you were just small or not? I wouldn't say a nobody, but like you were just starting out in the game. So for everyone that's starting out yeah. in the social media space, how do they put themselves in a position where they're a value for the bigger influencers? Yeah. I mean, when you talk about creating value, it's like very, um, I think it's a very overdone kind of phrase. It's like, oh yeah, just create value. Don't ask for anything in return. And it's like I'm a graphic designer and then you just shoot somebody an email and be like, Hey, I designed these graphics for you. I didn't ask for anything in return. Will you mentor me now? Or like, you know, it's like, 
I think that's been abused by a lot of people who create a lot of content is like add value, add value, add value. It takes more than that. Like you have to have, um, you have to have a specific knowledge and a specific, a specific expertise. So like, let's say you're really, really good at editing video. Well, you go out and you offer your video editing services or you offer to intern for somebody, or maybe you even edit some of their video clips. That's great. But like what happens after that? Um, I think the problem is, is that so many people are reaching out to the big influencers and the big celebrities that nobody's going after the micro influencers or the mid range influencers and saying, Hey, you're making a name for yourself. And I recognize that. Why don't you help me and I'll help you and let's help each other and create, you know, something more for our brands. You so build it's like a vision together. It, it's, it's really about like, that's what it is. But you think about somebody has 10 million followers, they get. 50 companies a day hit them up for merch. 100 companies a day want to advertise. You know, if it's a girl, you're getting 1,000 DMs a day of guys who want pictures of their feet for PayPal money. Like, it's literally <laughs> the craziest thing in the world. And then if you're talking about the entrepreneur space, it's like, okay, Mark Cuban and Damon John. Guess what? It's one of the highest rated shows on ABC. So your cold email to Mark Cuban is going to go in the rest of the buckets with somebody else saying, Hey, if you just please teach me or like look at my deck or like check out my startup idea or, Hey, would you fund me or loan me money? Your email is very generic and it's going to get into the same box as those other ones. Like you have to really do something to differentiate yourself. And that's for people to figure out that, that that's based on what is your skill set? What are you after? What are you trying to accomplish? Uh, for me, what I did was I just helped people and I didn't ask for anything in return. And some of those people I helped nine years ago, 10 years ago, still haven't asked for anything in return because we're just constantly helping people, helping people, helping people. And whether they send us a referral or whether they give us a client or even just in a general conversation saying, hey, have you heard of this Brandon guy? I'd be like, yeah, he's been helping me for the past five years and he's awesome. He knows a lot about social or he works with a lot of brands. Whatever it is, um, there doesn't have to be a rainbow at the end of every I mean, there doesn't have to be a, a pot of gold at the end of every rainbow that doesn't have to always lead to something. And especially when you're going, you know, people hit us up all the time. Like we do deals with the Kardashians and I'm like, who's your ideal influencer? And they're like, oh, I want to work with Kim. And I'm like, you just told me your budget's $10,000. Get, <laughs> get out of the room. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, it's literally it like make sense. people think that the, the, that they have to go to the very, very, very top of every industry. So it's like, well, I'm a, I'm a good graphic designer. I'm going to go to to Nike or I'm going to try to get a job at Saatchi and Saatchi. Like you don't have to do that. And, and in fact, when you do that, you're setting yourself up to fail. Go to somebody who's on the same level as you and try to build something together. And I think that that's probably the biggest tip that I can say is other than not to have any expectation of, you know, uh, of anything coming back your way. It's just genuinely going out, networking with people, you know, and, and a lot of people that I know, by the way, might not even have any specific skill set, and they're very, very good at what they do, but maybe they know me and they know you and then they connect us. So that's a big game as well too, is like playing this like master connector where you're like, Hey, I'm not the one who does it and I'm not the one who needs it, but I know both of those people and I know a lot of people who have built a successful personal brand and a successful business off being that person who connects the two people that need connecting instead of being one of the connectees. Interesting perspective. So you never ask for something when you deliver a piece of value or anything. So the, re- the reason why I'm asking this actually, let me go back a little bit. is because one of my mentors really dear to me tells me, Adam, you know, for you to be respected in business, for you to really grow. And, you know, I have multiple mentors. I listen to advice from all over the place 
they, they, they say one thing. Deliver value. Be grateful. Don't ask for anything in return. However, you must place yourself in a position to be able to ask at a certain point because at the yeah. end of the day, you need to grow. Yeah, you can. Um, I mean, see, so like, let's say, let's say I've, I've helped somebody for the past five years. I'm never going to say, hey, uh, I'm launching a product and guess what? I, I need you to be the face of it. Remember all that shit I did for you. Now it's time to pay me back. Okay, okay. So the way you communicate the, it. The ask, the ask is really, um, hey, by the way, we're doing an event. It's a cool you know, thing. We have some business speakers. We're going to have an after party. Would love for you to come. Now, that doesn't sound like an ask because I'm saying, hey, we're throwing a party. We're going to give you the VIP treatment. Would you please show up? But what that person might not realize is that showing up to our event is doing something for me because it's A, showing support, but B, edifying our brand because if I can get 20 or 30 or 50 or 100 people that have clout and have this like brand equity and they show up to my event, well, guess what? I have 100 influencers or celebrities or, or, or um, successful business people that show up to my event. Well, what does that do? It elevates my event. And again, I'm not asking them for something very specific and saying, hey, um, I tallied up all the money I made you. It looks like I made you about five million bucks. Five percent of that is this much. Time to pay up. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not like I that. It's like, yeah. hey, um, oh yeah, by the way, like um, we're doing this thing. Could you could you stop by? Or hey, we're running a campaign. Here's our budget. I know it doesn't fit in to what you normally charge, but like I would love for you to do the deal and it benefits us because you'll do the deal and then it benefits you because hey, you know. We're not public about your pricing, so if you took the deal and did it at a slightly lower rate than you normally would, helps both of us out. And then you're kind of building a, a friendship with people instead of just a business relationship. Friendship, I love that. Now, my next question comes down to fear, the subject of being scared of doing things that you should do or taking action. Mm -hmm. So building a new business, I'm sure maybe you've experienced it. Uh, when you start something new, you're fearful of the unknown. How do you get over those barriers and an example, let's talk. Let's continue on with the social media space. Yep. Let's say I want to talk to. Uh, let's say I want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. You know, you're the greatest example. Like this whole thing, actually, funny story, guys. I actually reached out to Brandon about two months ago over DM to get him on a podcast. Never yep. responded. Yep. However, it just so happened today I was uh, we were interviewing Dan and yep. boom, boom, the connections happen. And it's like the biggest example for you on what you were just talking about being the connector. You know, not actually have just somehow things happen, and uh, it, it came down to the like. If, if somebody were to want to connect with you specifically yep. to where you are today, right? But they're so scared or they don't know what to do or they don't know how to do it. And they randomly bump into you in the streets, right? In that five second, 10 second momentum or time that they have with you, what would make you go, ah, okay, cool. Yeah, I really want to work with this guy. This guy seems interesting. Hit me up. So, uh, so two things. Like um, the first thing when you mentioned like you DM me and you didn't get a response. <sighs> So I explained to you kind of off camera, that was more of a timing thing. I was in the process of moving and I couldn't do it. So the rule that I always give people too is like um, for sales, this is very important. Um, if you ask the hot girl out and she says no, it could also be her. It doesn't have to be you. Meaning uh. maybe she has a boyfriend. Maybe she um, just went through something. Maybe she lost a family member. Maybe she's busy. Maybe she like there's a million reasons why she could say no. Just not being interested in you could be one, but it's one of many. I see. Right? So if you would have asked me last week on a DM, then I probably would have said yes and you would be here anyways. Yes. Um, someone asked me last week and I said yes. And everybody for the past year asked me and I said no because I was in the process of moving and we were very busy. It was a huge undertaking. We finished building the house. So like all of these circumstances, you can't just look at me and be like, oh, he's in the middle of a bunch of shit. He's going to say no. 
you just ask me and I have, to, I, I say no, and I'm not going to give you my backstory or like not right now. But what, what, what that really means is like, don't ever be discouraged by anybody's answer, whether you're doing sales, whether you're outbound reaching, um, there could be a lot of reasons that people say yes. And a lot of reasons that people say no. So I, um, never taking it personal is the first piece of advice. And the second piece of advice is like, when you're reaching out to an influencer, when you're reaching out to a business person, here's the most important thing. And I always try to do this when I pitch people because I'm still reaching out to people. I'm still trying to meet new people, network with new people, build with new influencers. Um, telling the story of I'm doing this with or without you, but I would love to have you on board makes a massive difference. So huh. um, if you go to an influencer and say, hey, I got this great idea. Um, it'll only work with you. You have 20 million followers. And if we just did this, I would love to be a partner with you. And then the influencer is going to say, well, if I'm your entire marketing plan and this is only going to work with me, then what do I need you for? So look at every situation like that. So if, if it's like, hey, um, I'm not really going to help you, but it could really benefit me if you helped me, that situation is never going to work and I'm never going to get a response from you if I do that. But if it's like, hey, I built this cool thing. I'm making 50 grand a month and I, if with your expertise or your resources, we could probably do 250 grand a month, that will get my attention. Like, hey, I built this sick game and we're getting traction. I just need access to more downloads. I can do downloads. But if you say, hey, I have this game idea and I need 50 grand and like I want to be a 50% partner with you and I need you to do all the work, that's never going to get my attention. I might not only not finish reading it, but I'm definitely not responding because what I noticed in the problem or in the past is a problem and, and keep this in mind when you, when you message an influencer or a celebrity or a business person, you have to make your very first message to them attractive enough to get a response because once they respond to you, this could be a good thing for you, but a bad thing for them. Once they respond, now your DM is open to them. Once somebody like you can leave them unread or like in the, in the, in the, inbox unread and you can accept it or decline it but once you hit accept that person can dm you forever unless you block them whatever yeah so the problem is is that some people do something that's kind of attractive and then they prompt a response and then you respond or an influencer responds or a business person responds and then that person hits them up every five seconds and is like <laughs> what about this what do you think of this what do you think? oh this is my son's birthday party or like hey what are you doing this weekend hope you have a good day and it's like you've already ruined that relationship by ruin the access that you have by, step by, by step, kind of overdoing it. Yeah. And yeah, and, it, and, and it's really, I think that's why a lot of messages go unresponded to because people, you know, have messaged me before asking for advice. Like just tell in the way that they craft their first message that if I respond, it'll be a disaster because that person probably won't stop messaging me if I give them some sort of encouragement. Huh. Very interesting. I like that insight, my man. I really do. So I want to take this interview to a very specific section that, I don't think too many people talk about it. Would you say you're a man of faith? Do are you or do you believe? I believe in a higher power. Yeah. In a higher power, okay. And the reason why I'm getting into this, it's a little bit. I know it may be a little sensitive if you don't mind me getting into it. Uh, the reason why is because for me personally, I believe that everything that I do comes down to taking action, doing the do doing the job, but also believing in the higher power that the rest will be taken care of. Yep. So, how is your take on that? So I, I'm a a big proponent of. Um, I don't think that anything, and I'm not trying to sound like corny or cliche when I say no, this. No, no, go ahead. It, it is that um, nothing is impossible, but you have to actually believe that it's possible, and then you have to kind of will it. You have to put it out into the universe and say, 
I believe that this can happen and this is what I'm trying to achieve and go out and take the steps necessary to do it. The problem is, is that if you notice a lot of underachievers and a lot of people who just kind of coast by in life, the problem that they have is they have this disease. They have this disease where they identify as a victim for some capacity. It's like, well, I can't do that. I'm broke or I'm not smart enough to do that. I want to do that, but it's not like my style. Um, they have all these excuses. And one quote that I heard one time really opened up my eyes to this, and me and my wife use it all the time. And if I ever make an excuse for something, or if she ever makes an excuse for something, and it doesn't matter, it could be going to the gym. Mm -hmm. Say like, um, you know, hey, she tells me, hey, are you going to go to the gym today? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm really busy, and I'm probably just going to skip today. And the quote is, if you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them. And what that means is, is if you identify as too busy or too fat or too ugly or not smart enough or not intelligent enough or that you're broke or that you're anything, if you identify with that negative treatment towards yourself, negative opinion of yourself, the universe will allow you to keep that negative position in the universe. So if you say, I'm too broke, well, you just identified yourself and you limited yourself. You're never going to make any more money. Because you have this broke mindset and now you're stuck to it. And guess what? The universe will say, if you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're probably right. Huh. So why wouldn't you believe that you can make more money or that you are capable of getting in shape or that you are capable of closing that business deal or are capable of you know, being the uglier relationship? Whatever it is, you have to believe that it's actually possible. But if you don't, the universe is going to let you win. So if you say, I'm too X or I'm not X enough, the universe will say, yeah, you know what? I guess you're right. But if you say the opposite, the opposite is also true. Beautiful, beautiful. So now take that, let's take that and talk about energy. So to me, I'm a very big man. I'm a, I'm a very big man on energy, you know, just growing up in a family where it was a little uh, towards the negative side. So I had to kind of pop myself out of it. Sure. So what's the advice you would give to all the entrepreneurs or the all the, the hustlers out there that want to do something with their life? However, they're stuck in this area where the energy just absolutely just sucks mm -hmm. like genuinely you know like sometimes people are just in a situation where nobody nobody supports them nobody treats them properly everybody puts them down everybody thinks that it's just uh they're not the greatest and especially mm -hmm. in this society i feel like especially with like school right they put you like gated classes versus the special ed classes like it's going on around us 24 7 where we're putting people in areas where yeah you're better than this guy you're better than that guy how do you pop out of that and how do you create your own energy from within and actually believe that you can do the the, what the world tells you is completely yeah. impossible. So the first step is realizing that whatever you want to do, you can. Um, other people usually, like I, I, put a, I put a quote on Twitter yesterday, and the quote is, um, if, if you notice, I forgot exactly what I said, but it was like, the haters are always screaming down, up at you, never down at you. Meaning the people that are talking negatively towards you are usually the people on the bottom and they're kind of hating at an upward fashion. But people who are more successful for you, like when was the last time you saw Bill Gates roast somebody on Twitter? Yeah. Or net comments, Mark Zuckerberg commenting something negative on somebody's posts. They don't do it. Elon Musk is not out trying to like say, you know, hey, Jeff Bezos, like X, Y, Z. Um, like all these, all these successful people have one thing in common is that they take the hate, they don't issue it. So you have to say, like, the people in my life, who are the people issuing the hate? Um, is, is it my 
single friend trying to give me shitty relationship advice? Is it my broke friend telling me that I'm broke and that I'm not worthy? Um, really, where is where is that co coming from, right? And um, I think it's it's like really taking your own opinion of yourself and making sure that it's a positive one and starting there. And then just going out and proving both to yourself and all of the people around you, whether they speak highly of you. Like if somebody speaks highly of you, go out and prove them right. If they speak negative of you, go out and prove them wrong. And I think it's really, um, it's a mindset and it's a mentality. It's, it's, uh, requires patience because it doesn't happen overnight for anybody under any circumstance. Um, if you, you know, if you waste a dollar a day, you're not going to run out of money tomorrow, but you'll run out of money, you know, eventually weeks or months or years from now. Um, if you eat, you know, fast food every day and soda every day, uh, if you're, especially if you're, I mean, I used to say at 21 years old, I have a really good metabolism because I ate fast food every day. No, I didn't have a good metabolism. And like, yeah, I ate fast food every day, but guess what? It caught up to me. And uh, I probably was at my highest, maybe 30 plus pounds overweight because my metabolism obviously over time got worse and worse or it just got older. And I couldn't, you know, do what I thought that I could do with fast food that long. And I think that it's really, if you want to go out and start accomplishing things, first of all, you have to think you can silence everything around you. And, you know, when it comes to certain things like, I don't care if it's family, if it's friends, if it's a relationship, if it's a job, if you have something toxic in your life and you're not willing to cut it out, then you're willing to settle with that negative energy and that position that you're in in life. Like I saw a quote today and it was like, people are so quick to press block when they disagree with somebody online. But if somebody in their life is that toxic, they won't even remove them from their life. Like they're ruining your life and they're making things worse for you. They're bringing this negative energy in and you won't get rid of them. It's a unhappy relationship that you've been in for two years. Why? So you could sit and, cl and complain about it. It's, it's never going to get any better. Why don't you say it's fear? Um, it's ultimately always just fear of the unknown. Well, <clears throat> you're either willing to tolerate certain stuff or you're unwilling to tolerate certain stuff. And that's up to you. If you're scared that what you'll be alone, if you're scared that somebody might treat you better, um, if you're scared, I mean, like I even have, um, you know, me and my wife, both there's family members that we don't talk to. Well, I mean, family members, you don't get to choose them. Um, and if, and if somebody's energy is not matching yours or somebody's goals is not matching yours, if you have a friend that you've known forever, it's like, Hey bro, listen, I knew we grew up together and we can still be friends, but like, I can't kick it with you because I got stuff to do. If you think that, um, a minimum wage job is what's going to get you by in life. And, um, then, then that's the cap of what you're capable of. I think I'm capable of more. And if I'm going to surround myself with people like you, then I'm probably going to end up like you. And what about if it's a mother or father? What would you do in that scenario? Um, times are different. I mean, you know, does, does your, if you have a, if you have a mom or dad, they didn't grow up on a cell phone. Do they have a cell phone? Yeah. That means you can change their opinion. Um, when cell phones first came out, I guarantee you they were like, emergencies only put it in the glove box and now they're text messaging now they're on facebook yeah um now your parents might not even call you my grandma is in her 80s and she text messages me <laughs> right uh, um you can change people's mentality but some people are set into these old-fashioned ways and it's not their fault it's just how they grew up and it was like yeah maybe people didn't get tattoos on their face in the 30s but they do now it doesn't mean that they're a bad person maybe they made a bad life decision by getting a tattoo on their face but um you, you can definitely change people's opinions and um, maybe they won't like it at first, but if you feel that it's better for you, 
you're living your life for yourself, not for other people. And I don't mean that in a selfish way. I just mean if you have a cause and you have a purpose and you're setting out to go fulfill your life's purpose, fuck what everybody else thinks, go do it. And then later they'll be like, wow, I can't believe I didn't believe in you. I can't believe I didn't see that in you. I can't believe that you were going to make a difference. I can't believe you're going to invent this thing. I can't believe that you were going to let me retire early by paying my house off. Like there's all these things that are going to happen in the future, but first you have to prove them wrong. Now, if you think your life's purpose is to deliver pizza, great. I mean, maybe that's okay when you're in college. Go deliver a few pizzas, but like, what are you working on in your side hustle? What's your mission in life and what's your goal in life? It's a, if it's to be a pizza delivery person, then deliver the best pizzas of all time. But it's probably not. Go out and find what that purpose is. And if other people don't agree with you, get them to agree later. Like everything is a bad idea until it happens. Like nobody wanted to bet on the Eagles when they beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. I see. I see. Well, I very much thank you for that insight. Uh, my final question to you is: You seem like a guy that's uh, uh, more so on a at a higher frequency at a daily basis. So, what's what's like the couple key tips or certain things that you probably do in your life that keep you at that mental state of mind every single day? So, um, I used to make an excuse for myself to not work out because I said I was too tired. But what I realized is that when I would do a workout, I had more energy longer into the day. So. Working out and exercising does not make you more tired. It actually gives you more energy and it'll put you in a better position to protect your health and your mental state and you'll just be like an all-around better person. Uh So like really taking care of your health and then also figuring out like what are like the top three toxic things that I'm doing in my life, whether it's a diet, whether it's a bad habit, whether it's a whatever, try to figure out how to eliminate three bad things in your life, whether it's slowly... Um, phasing those things out, making replacements, making substitutions. Um, but I, I think that working out has been a big change because I used to get tired at like three o'clock. I was useless. Yeah. And it's like now into the evening and I'm like, I'm ready to go. So you get your workout in in the morning, you said, right? In the morning. Yeah. Always okay. in the morning. Always. You, and for people who say like, oh, I can't work out in the morning. I'm not a morning person either. You know, a morning person in air quotes. I'm making myself into a morning person. But um, when it comes to a workout, what I convince myself is that like, before I fully wake up and convince myself that I don't want to work out, I'm already midway done with my workout. So you think you can change something that you hate into something that you love just by virtue of just forcing yourself in the beginning? It takes 30 it. days to create a habit, approximately. So um, if, if you think you're not capable, go do it for six weeks before you tell yourself that. But I guarantee you four weeks in, you'll probably change your mind. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. Well, any uh, for everyone that's watching, where can they find more of your content and what you do? Yeah. And just if they're interested in just, you know, hitting you up personally, what where, 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 sure. would be the best plug? So I'm at money on Instagram and Snapchat, and then I'm at CEO on Twitter. Awesome. And anything you'd like to uh, advertise about, any specific projects you're working on currently that would, did you want to plug into the podcast? Just me. Just That's it. all I got. <laughs> all right, my man. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Right on. Thank you. Appreciate thank you. It.